Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you are worthy of all honor, that you have the power to make this world a better place, that you move in our lives and love us and never let us go. And so we can look out at a world that is sometimes full of trouble and sometimes full of suffering and sometimes full of pain and know that you are with us and we are not alone. And in particular, God, we come to you now with the, with the concerns, with the places that we are hurting, with the places that we are broken, with the people that we are worried about, and we lift them up and hand them over to you. We lift up the family and friends of Wilberta Hood, uh, who passed away um, late, uh, late last week. Loving God, we give you thanks for the presence she had in our congregation, for that smiling face, that deep desire for you, and the love that you poured into her and that she poured into us. And so, loving God, may we always cherish the memory of Wilberta in our hearts and in the life of this congregation. And may we feel that prod from you to live into her example, that she is now part of that great cloud of witnesses uh, waiting for us on the other side. May we live um, in her memory. May we know your comfort in this loss. Um, and may we know your peace in all of it. We lift up Pete Garza's friends and family. Um, he passed away on November 4th, God. Um, we pray for you to move in their lives as well, that you, they may know your comfort and your peace, that even if Pete, Pete is now at peace, there are those of us left behind who are not. And so may they know your love in this. We lift up an unspoken prayer request that even if we do not know what it is, God, you do. Uh, God, we give you thanks that you can move and see all um, and love in places that we can only imagine. We pray uh, for Dorothy, uh, who's getting adjusted to memory care. Um, we lift up Sandra, uh, who is starting a chemotherapy. And so, God, we pray for Dorothy and pray for Sandra for their healing, uh, for their comfort, uh, for their peace. We lift up Beth Corson for the healing of her shoulder. Uh, we lift up Elijah Alexander, uh, who is working to get his first job um, after college. And so, God, uh, we pray for your guidance, particularly for Elijah. That is a, a difficult transition to make. And so may he know that he has your guidance um, in the midst of it. And so, loving God, we lift up all of those prayer requests. The ones spoken aloud, the ones spoken merely uh, within our own hearts. Loving God, move in mighty ways. We pray, we beg, we ask. Um, may we know your healing, your comfort. We lift up the on those who are suffering from the coronavirus pandemic We live as our world is suffering from it. Loving God, we pray that this knot of many things may slowly get or quickly be unwound, that we may get back to normal, that all who are sick with it may be healed, that it may be driven out of their bodies, but also that it may be driven out of our world, that we may be able to once again live a normal life. And God, we know there are places in our own lives that need to be made less normal, where we sin and fall short of your glory, that our normal way is not your way. And so, God, make, help us to know your grace and power to work through those, those things in our lives. And may we know that even in the midst of that, we have your second chance love. And God, may we then indeed share that second chance love with others, that we may go from this place convicted and inspired and sent forth by you to be your hands and feet in the world. Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.
and some of my youth to come and join us too this morning. Come on up, Mr. J. I heard you had some really good answers during first service, so I'm excited to hear them now. Um, so my question for y'all this morning is, who is Jesus? He is God. He is God. Who else is Jesus? God's son. God's son. So we call Jesus by a lot of names, right? We call Jesus, Jesus Christ. We call him Messiah. We call him Savior. Um, so here is my big question for you. Is Jesus human all the way or is Jesus God all the way? Jesus and a person. You're right. Both. The answer is yes. Jesus is all the way God and all the way human. It is true that Jesus is human and God. Yes, that is the truth. So what did Jesus do for us that makes Jesus our Savior? He gave us our land and animals and food. Uh-huh. And what were you going to say, Jay? He died on the cross for our sins, and are you grateful? He get, he died on the cross for our sins. That's the most important thing, huh? That Jesus is our Savior because he died on the cross for our sins. We serve a crucified Savior. So let's go ahead and pray today. Would you all pray with me? All right. I'll say it first, and then you all can follow me. Sound good? All right. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Most of all, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and taking our sins with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from the ninth chapter of the letters to the Hebrews, uh, verses 24 through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on, your, on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters the holy place year after year, with blood that is not his own. For then, he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the, by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once after the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, God's wisdom and power intelligence know no bounds. The intelligence that sits at the heart of God is an intelligence that could create all that you see, did create, all that you see, you know, trees, fish, people, telephone poles, everything. And we take a lot of it for granted because, you know, you know, when you, you 
Where's the thing that I can drop without hurting something? When you drop a thing, it falls, right? You get used to it. But actually, the amount of intelligence it took to design all of these interrelated pieces is fascinating to me. So anyone ever heard the idea of, of, the, of the habitable zone or the survivable zone? Okay, the habitable zone is this idea that if the Earth was too far from the sun, we'd all freeze. And if the Earth was too close to the sun, we'd all cook. And not like East Texas summer cook, but like a thousand degrees in an oven cook. We would die. We'd just step outside and be burned to a crisp. Yeah, you know, your morning walk uh, in, on Mercury would kill you really quickly because you're just that close to the sun that you're going to die. So because the Earth is close enough to the sun, we can have like liquid water, uh, but not so far from the sun um, that we all freeze to death. There's this butter zone. There's this Goldilocks zone that is habitable. And right now, there are not that many planets we have found that are in the habitable zone. Uh, there are a few that NASA has been able to spot. And to be in the habitable zone is the thing you need to create a multicellular life. And y'all are a lot of things. Beloved children of God, y'all are also multicellular life. You are more than one cell smooshed together. We're billions of cells smooshed together. But only planets in the habitable zone can have those things. God balanced it perfectly. Not too close. Not too far away. Now, science will tell you it was random luck, but I don't buy it. I don't believe in luck. God can carefully balance millions and billions of factors to bring about our pale, our pale blue dot that is perfectly habitable for us and allows us this opportunity to live, to grow, to be a part of God's world, to know God in this life and have the hope of life to come. But for all of that, all of these things are what's happening in Genesis 1. Science sees them as equations. We see them as scripture. But all of it says that God built this perfectly balanced world, was able to combine all of the things just right, that we can have life and life in abundance. And a similar kind of divine balancing act sits at the heart of Hebrews chapter 9. This time, not about life itself, but about our life in God. That Christ represents this perfect balance of factors of human and perfect, and yet also God that brings about our salvation and our hope. But without any one of those factors, it all the whole house of cards falls apart. Now, Maybe y'all are better than I am. But anytime I read the book of Hebrews, I have to stop. I have to like shake my head. Gotta shake out the kinks. I gotta un unblurry my eyes because it's a real dense book of theology written for a group of people who are not us with cultural references that are not ours. And so it is A, is heavy under the best of circumstances. B, is extremely heavy if you are not a lifelong Jewish Christian, which most of us are not. We are largely a Gentile crew around here. It's dense. This one is dense. You can read this and go, what are they talking about? You can read this and go, why is Pastor Trey so excited about this? Because I am thrilled. To understand what's so exciting here, we need to go back in time. 
And we need to talk about what normally happened at the temple in Jerusalem. There was a lot of sacrifices made at the temple in Jerusalem. It was kind of a nonstop sacrifice factory. And most of the sacrifices happened outside of here. This is the Holy of Holies. This is the inner sanctum of the sacrifice, of the temple. Most of the sacrifices done for people on an ongoing basis is they would bring their bull, their goat, their dove, their lamb, their drink offering. They would lay it on a big altar in the outer court, and that would be the kind of like, oh, I definitely messed up, I definitely need to do this, or oh, I've got this big thing happening, I want to make sure it goes right, I'm going to sacrifice. That was most of the sacrifices. But then, on the Day of Atonement, chief priest would do a special kind of sacrifice. He would get up, he would douse himself in blood. This is true. He would douse himself in blood because he needed to be, he needed to atone for his own sins first. And so by doing, by covering himself in blood, fun, um, that would be his atonement. Then he would go into a place that only the high priest can go. And that is the Holy of Holies that is beyond the veil. You know, remember in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, the idea that the veil is torn? Uh, this kind of paisley pattern thing, that's the veil that was torn. That's the veil that separates the inner sanctuary from the Holy of Holies, where they believed God actually sat. sat. And the chief priest would go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for the people for all the sins they forgot to sacrifice for. It is the Day of Atonement is the catch-all sacrifice for all of the things that you missed. You thought you checked them all off, but just in case you didn't check off all of your sins this year with doves, goats, pigs, not pigs, doves, goats, cows, sheep, whatever, we're going to do one catch-all sacrifice to catch all the things that you missed. The Day of Atonement, doused in blood, in goes chief priest, make sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, and all the sins of the world are forgiven. For that moment only. And then the sinning starts back up again. And the debt keeps rising. And then a year later, new day of atonement. New chief priest, doused in blood, goes in, makes sacrifice, and boom! The sins of the world are forgiven. For a moment. And then the debt keeps piling up. This was something that had to happen every year because it only covered the sins of that moment. It did not cover the future. And so it was this ongoing system of sacrifices, both people making sacrifices on their own behalf at the temple and the chief priest going in on the Day of Atonement making a sacrifice on behalf of the whole people that only lasted that long. These are really good at sinning, and so the sin just kept piling back up. And so that's where Hebrews 9 picks up. Hebrews 9 says that in Christ, this whole system is undone. In Christ, this whole system is solved. We don't have to keep doing this over and over and over again, because Christ died as the one sacrifice. All sins in both directions, past and future, can be covered by this one sacrifice. Which to us would go, yeah, of course. But we didn't spend our whole childhood going to the temple and sacrificing and celebrating the Day of Atonement. This is a major change in how 
sins were forgiven. And that's what's happening in verses 24 through 28. 24 through 26, excuse me. It's setting up this monumental shift that I'll admit to Christians doesn't always feel as monumental as it should. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own, for then he would have to have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to remove the sin by the sacrifice of himself. At the core of who Christ is, is that moment of sacrifice that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he chooses to die on our behalf. He did not need to sacrifice. He himself had not sinned. We had. And he chose. In the moment in the Garden, he committed himself, and then he followed. For the rest of the next few days, he followed through on what he had committed himself to. He allowed himself to be tortured. He allowed himself to be killed. He died on a cross. And he chose to do it. But a lot of people have chosen to die for others. A lot of people have chosen to die for the good of the Christian church, for the good of God's kingdom. Die for God. We, have, we remember many martyrs. We remember Peter, who got apparently crucified upside down. Uh, in Acts, it talks about Stephen, uh, who gets stoned to death as Paul looks on and goes, I love this. Right? We hear about James the Lesser, who was also killed as a martyr in Scripture. But Christ's sacrifice... It's different because it talks about in 24 through 26, Christ can go to the heavenly places. Christ himself is God. He is a human and he sacrificed himself and that's what makes it a sacrifice. This is not a simulation of a sacrifice. This is not Christ standing on the cross going, oh, the horror, the horror, and not feeling anything. No, he feels every bit of it. Ow. Ow. No. Really human, really feels it, but also has access to heavenly places, meaning he himself is God. It's a human who feels it, but it is also God willingly sacrificing God's self for us. And it is someone who had no need of a sacrifice himself because he lived a perfect This is why I call this a carefully balanced equation. Because you need all three of those pieces for this to be what we know it to be. He needs to be human or it's not a sacrifice, right? It's just a simulation. It's just a television. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't play a save. He's not really a savior. He just plays one on TV. No, no, no. He really is someone sacrificing himself in a painful and very real way. He needs to be God. Because that's what gives that sacrifice such weight. 
that God, who never sinned, who has always been righteous, the promise that God made, died for us anyway as that sacrifice. And that's why Christ being perfect matters too. He was in the, had no need of sacrifice. It was me. It was y'all. It was all of us who needed it, except Christ. And he did that anyway for us. You need each of those pieces of who Christ is. The perfect human who is also fully God. The God who comes down among us. Who lives. Who truly lives. One of my favorite scenes where Jesus has to prove he's alive is the scene on the, the banks of the banks of the Gal- Sea of Galilee when he has to prove to them that he's not a ghost. Oh, this is in the upper room. He has to prove to them that he's not a ghost. There's this great scene, I think it's in John's Gospel, after Jesus is risen from the dead, where he has to prove that he's not a ghost, and he has to prove that he's not a ghost by eating fish. Apparently, ghosts can't eat, um, and so it's this hostage situation. And I guarantee Jesus, who has a sense of humor, definitely messed with them. He definitely picked up the fish, looked at them. I'm not a ghost! He's a human, but also fully God. And so in this very technical argument of Hebrews comes the crux of who Christ is and the crux of what that means for us, that we have this incredibly valuable and incredibly costly gift hanging out there for each of us right now and always. The gift that was bought, that Christ paid for, That Christ went into, not the pretend holy of holies on earth, but the true holy of holies in heaven. And by how he got there and being willing to go there, he is the high priest for all of us, making this gift available for all of us. Not not having to do this over and over again, but one gift for all time. That is the gift of Christ's death and the gift of grace and salvation. It cost Christ his life but he apparently decided we were worth it. There in the garden, he decided we were worth it and extended that hand out to us. It's an offer. It's an offer of salvation. It's an offer of grace. And not just once, but for all time. And not for like a sliding scale of sliding scale of sins where at some point you get so high and Christ goes, jeez, I don't, I don't think we can, uh, it's not, God is not your insurance company. You cannot max out, right? Like, I just, I don't know if we can cover that one. Nope, he can cover it. Whatever you can manage to cook up in our sinful little brains, Christ can cover. Christ's not your insurance company, praise God. That we can know that the words that St. Paul writes in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, is true. And that includes our own choices. There's nothing we can do that can stop God from loving us. And so this offer of dying for us and rising from the dead, offering that hand out to us, remains good. Whatever, wherever you are coming into this journey, or if you've been on this journey and then got off this journey and want to get it back on this journey, all of that's available to you because of this grace. 
because of Christ's sacrifice, because Christ is both human and God and perfect and chose to die for you anyway. That is here for you. All you have to do is accept the offer. Say yes. Grab on. And Christ will pull you home. Let us pray. Gracious Lord God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the love you have poured into us. We give you thanks for that offer. We give you thanks for that gift of salvation. But loving God, help us, help us, help us to know that grace in our own lives. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.